Welcome to Hell Week. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast and welcome to Hell Week. This is our new series that JP and I put together for rising interns and actually for anybody who's interested in our training programs. This is a consolidated series to try to get you ready, all the things you need to know in order to be a training neurosurgeon. Hi everybody, JP here. The usual disclaimers. The information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. The opinions expressed are our own and don't reflect those of any institution or professional organization. But perhaps most importantly, we're going to loosen up a little for this series. So expect some constructive advice, some controversial stories, but most importantly, get ready to learn. Now, let's get started. Welcome back to the Nursery Podcast. We're here for yet another episode for Hell Week, and I'm just going to issue a little bit of disclaimer before we start. We do know that we are in the era of um, resident work hours, and so everything that we say here is uh, to be taken in light of that, that we are not in any way advocating for residents or house staff in any specialty to violate whatever the work hours restrictions of their local governments or locales or cultures. So with that, let's get started on this. So today's topic is going to be about when is it safe to leave the hospital? Now, we already talked about coming into the hospital, right, JP? We talked about when to come in the hospital. And and what did you tell us on that last episode about when you arrive in the morning? Um, you know, depending on when your team's formal rounds are in the morning, you show up as early as is necessary to be ready. Right. So for the bean counters and administrators out there, obviously work hours just relate to the number of hours you're working. And so, obviously I answered you very politically there. Right. Obviously. <laughs> so if the number of work hours is defined by when you enter the hospital and when you leave the hospital in a very simple measure. But let's not talk about that from that perspective. Let's talk about the perspective of you being a superstar resident or intern. So one of the natural tendencies is that you could never leave the hospital. And uh, JP, maybe you've seen these folks. Some people seem like they round, and as soon as they're done rounding a second or third time, new problems arise, so they have to go around again. And it becomes a circular process whereby these people can never leave the hospital. Have you ever known anybody like that? Uh, I've known several people like that. I mean, it's it's a reality of working in a hospital that the service never ends and the patients are always there. So if you're waiting for everything to be all quiet and nothing to be happening whatsoever before you set foot outside, you will never leave. Right. So healthcare and health emergencies do not work on a clock. So there's really four strategies about that. One is to follow the work hours rules and simply say, this is the hour at which I must leave and you walk out of the hospital. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Uh, but that's just maybe a strategy. Let's put it that way. A couple other strategies just to summarize in general, and, and let's get to them piece by piece, JP, would be to increase your speed of this circular rounding aspect, which is if you can ever catch a break, if you're fast enough, then you're in a safe zone to leave, right? In other words, leave when the work is done. But if you finish the work quickly enough before new work comes on, you might be in a safe spot, so to speak. A third strategy is 
is to, to, to sort of ask for permission, right? Which is to sort of get a, a read on what people are telling you, what your superiors, your chief residents, your senior residents, your attendings say, hey, now is a good time. You know, this is probably the time to go home, right? So those are three, and I'll, I'll get to a fourth strategy later, but what do you think about how you do things, JP? How do you determine when it's time to leave? Well, I think a, a really good strategy to deal with that nebulous nature and the, the question of when it's safe to leave with a constantly evolving service, where, as you say, emergencies are always happening, is to communicate and to try to have a structured approach to this um, in advance. Because the service of you know, your patients, the service that you're running, the consult list, the emergency room, the trauma bay, if you have one, all of these things are nebulous, they're variable, they're outside of your control. What you can control is the way you as an individual and your team interact with that, you know, variable entity out there, which is the hospital service and the neurosurgical service. So in general, from, from what I've seen in the uh, hospitals where I've rotated and, and being here at Rush, the, the best strategy or, or at least an effective strategy I've seen is to have set in place a uh, standard practice for each day for, you know, this is the way that we hand things off between the guy who's on and the guy who's off. And when you check these boxes, even if it's not all the boxes for the hospital, these are the boxes for you. And so when those boxes are checked, that's when you can get out of here, get some rest for the next day. Yeah, it, it's an important thing for those of you who are not in neurosurgery to know there are different fields of medicine. And some people really gravitate to fields like emergency medicine, because why? The ER, as you know, never stops. So there's a shift, right? So shifts from seven to seven or seven to three. And so people will know that's the end of my shift at the end of your shift or prior to it. Another group of doctors comes in. There's a formalized process for exchange of or passage of patients on. And no patient feels like you're just their, you know, you're you're their doctor. They're the, the patient of whoever's running the ER, right? And of course, neurosurgery is nothing like that. So what JP you're indicating is that in many programs, there is a structure put in place understanding the, the difficulty of drawing hard lines along a clock, right? Right. What I frequently have uh, what, what I say, because I've learned it um, through long and arduous experience, is that disease does not respect a calendar. And just because it's 1.30 in the morning, uh, that's not going to stop someone from having a complication. Uh, just because it's noon on a sunny day, that's not going to stop someone from getting hit by a car. So whatever arbitrary structures we set to, to our days, be it hours, be it calendars, be it weekends, uh, Reality, nature, and the natural progression of disease uh, pays no mind to those arbitrary structures that we have, that we impose on our days. So let's overstate the obvious. So the forces at play, uh, absent the structure, because that would be in place where you're at potentially. Uh, so absent the structure and the, uh, the, define, the, the definition, I should say, of what your work hours are would be on the, the side of just leaving, right? would be fatigue, um, the fact that you you are simply tired of doing what you're doing, the fact that you don't want to infringe on other people's learning experiences, and something mm -hmm. of that sort. The things keeping you in the hospital would be things like every time you leave the hospital and you're, say, holding the pager, somebody else has to hold that pager. So it's, it, it is a sort of a zero-sum game, right? Like the right. work you're not doing is going to be shouldered by another person, maybe someone senior to you. 
And then secondarily, of course, the learning experience. So um, classic example, your post-call, there's a good case going on. The case is not over at noon, right? And do you stay or not, right? That's a, that's a very typical scenario. Right. And I, I think that zero-sum nature of it is such a salient point because that is the case. And that is true regardless of your uh, opinion about it. And so I think oftentimes it's much more a function of how the individual resident or the individual surgeon responds to that zero-sum nature of a service than it is some difference in the the external world to that individual. So one person can look at the, the zero-sum constantly evolving, there's always something to do nature of the hospital, and wave their hands and say, well, you know, there's always something to do. There's always going to be more work. I may as well just get out of here because it's not like I could ever finish. Whereas another person can look at that zero-sum game and that constantly evolving set of work and tasks and say, oh my gosh, there's so much to do. As you said, I got to look out for my comrades in the department and I've been taking care of these patients. What if something happens to them when I'm not here and I don't know about it and I can't help? Gosh, I, I can't leave the hospital. There's too much to do. So there really is an, an internal struggle, I think, for how people relate to the hospital environment that's uh, much more determinant of these things than the hospital itself may be. And to be clear, most of the people we want in the program tend to value, as a general rule, the things in category B that you're talking about, JP, right? That is care for your patient, loyalty to your patient, not wanting to dump on your colleagues, increasing your educational opportunities, uh, and the love of your field, right? Over sleep, uh, hanging out with your friends, going home to see your wife and, and exercising, things of that sort, right? So the tendency would be for the typical classic neurosurgical trainee to tend to stay longer, right? To maybe, I don't want to say overstay because that's the wrong word, but they tend to, uh, to want to be in the hospital more than not want to be in the hospital. Correct, JP? Absolutely. I mean, it's everything you listed. It's the drive to learn. It's the drive to participate. And at, at least with the people I've been privileged to work with, it's a genuine care and concern for the patients. I can't count the number of times that I have eventually gone home after a shift and, you know, a few hours later I, I'm home and I'm resting and I have to text my friends who are, who are on surface and say, hey, what happened? Is, is, such, is so-and-so patient doing okay? And nothing warms my heart more than when I'm the guy who's coming on and holding the pager for the day. And I get those text messages from my friends who've gone home because it reminds me that I'm with a group who really care and who are really invested in the service we're providing to these people. They're not just punching a clock and going home. Yeah. So a couple of things I observe as an attending, uh, I'll just say this as another important thing you should remember when you're starting. If an attending surgeon says to you, let's say this, the typical scenario for me would be we're doing a surgery and um, we're in the middle of the operation. And I say to the resident that's working with me, go get some lunch. Right. Um, <laughs> it's usually not a test. It's usually not like a, um, hey, listen, you know, I'm asking you and baiting you like the devil. And if you take this, then I know you're weak. Usually it's not like that, although some there are some people out there that are like that. But when I'm telling you that, it means one of three things. Okay, Number one, you are really tired and you need to get out of here and get something to eat or go to the bathroom or something. Right. You need you need to take a little break, maybe even go home. Right. And if that's the case, you're impaired. You need to get out of there. Right. Uh, number two. Um, I don't want you to do this part of the case, but I don't want to feel bad about taking it from you, right? In which case, you do not want to fight me for that because you're either going to get a complication or you're going to piss me off, right? So, so 
take the advice. Or number three, you did something really stupid and really bad, and it's a way of punishing you. So when someone who is who you trust, who's senior to you says, listen, dude, just go get some rest. Um, don't fight them on it because that's kind of annoying, actually. It's kind of like defiant and uh, in, in some ways almost arrogant. No, absolutely. I, I will say that maybe if it's not a fatigue standpoint or an impairment standpoint, like you said, to uh, to give the intern insight on that scenario, maybe, you know, not getting lunch during a case, but maybe if someone a few steps above you on the ladder tells you to go home and get some rest, oh, you're done for the day. You know, like if, if a junior attending told me, get out of here, go home and get some rest, I'm not going to walk out the door. I'm going to talk to the chief and make sure there's nothing I could do for him, the senior, and nothing I can do for him, all the way down to the second year resident directly above me and work my way down the totem pole to make sure I'm not walking out on anybody who has some tasks I could help with before I go. Yeah, the problem with being the intern is that everybody's above you, right? That's really exactly. part of the problem. So by the time you've checked in with everybody, it's another couple hours of your day, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's a tough problem. I think that none of us get this right first of all, and you're going to do it so many times, uh, hundreds of times in your first year that you'll never get it right uh, across the board. And so my tendency had always been to sort of err a little bit on um, on staying a little bit longer. But let me let me issue another caveat. I'll never forget this one time when I was a, a second year and I was rounding and my wife was an occupational therapist and her office was near the neurosurgery office. And she wasn't my wife yet. We were we were just dating and we were supposed to be at tickets to a concert in East L.A. And my chief resident then was Udi Mendel, and he loved to round for hours. And we walked by her office like four times, and it was a Friday at the 7.30, and we were supposed to go to a Counting Crows concert, and she just got – she wasn't angry. She was like, what is up with you guys? Finish rounding already. <laughs> and, some, you know, sometimes you've got you to gotta say, hey, listen, you know, um, I'm sorry. You know, do you mind if we round a little bit earlier because I got this thing to do? If you have capital in the bank, if you have some some good deposits with that person, I think I think it's it's acceptable, don't you, JP? I do, and I, you know we discussed this on a previous episode about dealing with your attendings and and talking to your superiors in general, and just remembering that they're people too, remembering that they aren't just these paragons of authority who lord over you in the hospital, but you know they're they're men and women just like you. They have personal lives, they have relationships, and as you said, if you have capital, you have a good uh, trust-based relationship and you have a good reputation for being a hard worker and being reliable, uh, I, I don't think it's you know out of the question to just be honest and say, you know, I have something later. How can we arrange things so I, I meet all my responsibilities and I can still make it for that? Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, during the pandemic, I've been watching a lot of Naked and Afraid. And I keep saying to myself, <laughs> you know, 21 days, right, in the outback, I'd probably stuff my face and put on 20 pounds before I went out there or something like that. Well, you, you've heard JP and me already talk about how to do this, which is right now, right now, you can go work out, exercise, get fit before you, uh, before you start into this seven-year journey. Similarly, right when you start or even before, you can start to, to make deposits, little deposits in the bank with your senior residents, with the current interns that are ahead of you by one year with the chief residents coming in, right? With the younger attendings, with the older attendings, start making those deposits now so that when your girlfriend or boyfriend says, hey, can we just have a date night or whatever you guys do nowadays, that <laughs> maybe someone's gonna cut you a little more slack, right? Right, the, the quality of your life as an intern in neurosurgery, and, a, and I'm sure 
as a resident later in the process is going to be determined not solely on your skill, your knowledge, your efficiency, but is going to be hugely determined by the degree of trust and the quality of the, of the relationship between you and your superiors. Exactly, exactly. Trust is really the key, right? They've got to trust that you're telling them the truth. They, they know you're human, right? So recognize that. Now, with that being said, right? So you are uh, JP post call, okay? And there's an interesting case going on, uh, maybe a case that someone promised you you're going to get to do a part of, and you scrub in to do that case and you're doing the case and, um, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, JP, I think, you know, you probably should, uh, should hit the road. How do you re- how do you react? How do you respond? Um, I get. I mean, obviously, I'm the intern, so whoever's saying this to me is my superior. Um, I would, you know, if I, if I still want to be there badly, and you know, I'm I'm very invested in the case. I I might politely ask, you know, is is it? I guess you can't say is it something I did, but oh, you know, I feel fine. Maybe try to reassure them. You know, you know, I feel okay. I, I, I'm, I feel perfectly fine to stay through the end of this and try to get a feel for which of those categories you listed previously is happening right now. Does the person really just think I'm tired? Are they trying to save my pride by getting me out of some complicated part of the procedure? Because, you know, if that's the case, I'll happily just stand aside and watch to still learn. And so try to navigate that uh, social interaction where there's, there's levels to it. And, and as you alluded to before, there might be an extra meaning behind the words that they're saying to me, right? Yeah. And and I'll use an analogy here. You know, in Chinese Kung Fu, there's this old principle of, of carrying water up the mountain for the monks for one year before they teach you anything. And you saw that exemplified in the popular movie, The Karate Kid with... Uh, with uh, Pat Morita and uh, and uh, who's the young kids? I can't can't remember the name of the young kid. But the idea is that you know you're paying dues, right? You're paying dues. And so what I would tell you that my answer, the Mike Wang answer, is okay. The attending or senior resident says to me, "Hey, why don't you hit the road?" And, and hey, why don't you hit the road? My answer is something like this: Yeah, no, no problem. But do you mind if I just stick around and, and watch a little more? Right. And so there it will be revealed the answer. If you've annoyed people, they're going to say, no, 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 we'd rather you not, <laughs> right? right. Uh, if, if they're wanting to do the case, say, okay, we'll just stay, just, you know, we'll bring it back in when there's something you can do, right? Uh, either way, you're demonstrating interest, right? You're showing the commitment level without being pushy, right? So that's a kind of a compromise situation. You're saying, I still want to learn. Right. I understand. Maybe you think I'm too tired. I'm going to fuck this thing up. So can I just watch? So maybe next time I can be better prepared. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's very important to just to underscore, as you said, demonstrating the interest, because even if it does, you know, turn out that they really do want you out of the room, um, maybe not because you've been annoying, but they, they really, you know, they know that you've been awake for however many hours and it was a rough night on call and they're aware of that because they know how many consults you had and maybe you had some procedures overnight. So it's, you didn't get any sleep that call and they're really concerned about you. Like you said, you're, you're saving face, you're reaffirming to them that you really want to be there and you're giving them the opportunity to acknowledge that, but still send you home for the rest you may need. Yeah. Now a couple of like things not to do. Okay, so one of the fundamental truisms of the last 50 years anyways, is that nobody that's around today as an average, an average person 
is working more hours than their predecessors. So good example, right? Uh, right. When I was a resident, we took Q3 call. That means every third night we were on call in-house. Prior to me, the people were taking Q2. So I couldn't really say shit about how hard I'm working because those guys were on every other night. And then the people came after us were Q4. So they could never say anything about us. So be very, very careful about, uh, I had a situation recently with a resident who was saying, oh, I'm, I'm really busy, something like that. And, and not, not a criticism of this young man, but I was like, really? Like, yeah, I guess, I guess you're really busy, but you're not nearly as busy as me or a lot of other people around you. You know what I mean? So be very careful how you try to, um, try to, to plead for your case, if you will, about how miserable it is or how awful it is. Right. And I mean, that's largely a function of just knowing your audience. You know, if you, if you're frustrated, if you're tired and if you feel the need to gripe, um, talk to your cohort, don't talk to your, you know, your seniors and on the chain of authority, be it senior residents or attendings, one, that that's not a good look to begin with. But two, exactly as you said, we know for a fact, because it's documented, those people had it harder than you. So you shouldn't be griping to them. Yeah. I mean, like I said last time, get a dog, right? Get a dog. Talk to your dog about it. Uh, <laughs> it it's a good test of how good your significant other is. If your significant other doesn't want to hear it. Um, you know, maybe you should reconsider that other and maybe go for another other. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's, it's really important to understand the right way to do this. So I guess, JP, if, if we could do the take home optics on this, number one, um, when you're talking about this thing about hours, there's the actual hours, then there's the perception of your role in it, right? And, and the perception is as important as the actual hours sometimes, right? That is so true. Um, and, and sometimes it's not even just perception, but I, I think what you may be getting at is how the individual perceives their time in the hospital. So um, all of our rising interns that we're addressing are obviously just finishing medical school. And I think possibly the worst part of medical school for me, besides one week that I spent doing outpatient pediatric clinic, was on any inpatient service when you're just there. You're not doing anything. There's no role for you. You know, we have EMR now, so it's not like you can write notes because the resident has to sign it through their account. Uh, nurses are unionized or their hospital regulations are such that you can't do much procedurally for patients. And there's, there's so many students and there's so many residents, say you're on a medical service, where there's literally nothing for you to do. The work is done for the day, but the medical service is keeping you there just to be there for so many hours. That is a universal experience in medical school in the modern age. It is the most frustrating experience in the world, and it's the slowest possible way to perceive the passage of time because you're just sitting there waiting for hands to move on a clock. Counterpoint to that, when you're working as a neurosurgical intern and there is not enough time in the day to do everything you have to do, the time flies by, your energy level is constantly high because you're engaged and you're engaged in meaningful, exciting, educational, novel activity. Um, so exactly as you say, not just the number of hours, but the quality of those hours is incomparable between uh, your time as a neurosurgery intern that you're about to enter and everything you've experienced in medical school thus far. Yes. And you're right, JP. The solve for this is, is the issue of time, boredom, and the perception of time, right? And we've talked about it before that neurosurgery is one of those few fields where you can have what's called a battlefield promotion. So picture, if you will, 
that you are a person that is at a certain stage in your life, but at every point in time, you're advanced one year above what you should be. In other words, if you function like a, like a third year medical student when you're a second year, that's amazing, right? You're out there in clinical wards doing stuff that other people aren't doing in your class. If you're functioning as an intern, when you're an MS4, that's amazing. You're like putting in IVs, you're writing orders, all these cool things. If you're functioning like a PGY6 when you're a PGY5, you're very happy and so on and so forth, right? And that's the that's the remedy. Now, picture the opposite scenario, right? When you're an intern, you're functioning like a medical student. When you're in, you know on and on, you get the picture, right? So one of the solutions is exactly as JP has said, which is to keep your interest level high, your engagement level high, by always excelling at least by one year above where you are. Right. And there's no better way, you know, as you say, excel to keep yourself interested, but doing so is how you will excel. The best way to learn another job, for example, being an intern when you're a medical student, is to just try to be one. It doesn't matter if you are an intern yet, just observe them and try to do what they're doing. If you're trying now, then when you get there and it's actually your job, you've at least had some kind of practice at it. You've, you've put your feet in the water. And so then when it does become your job, you will continue to advance faster than everyone who hasn't tried it out yet. So we will continue to tell you on this podcast how the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and how you can be a superstar as a resident. So thank you again for tuning in. Mm-hmm.